0: everybody, welcome to episode 129 of Literary Disco, Lord of the Flies. Today, we sharpen a stick at both ends and go hunting for <laughs> meaning in William Golding's classic, you've read it even if you've never read it, 1954 novel, Lord of the Flies. I'm actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey guys.
1: Hey. Hello. Daddy. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I now greet everybody. Hey, yeah. fatty.
0: Uh, does Ralph right. call him fatty right off the bat in the beginning of this book? Piggy,
2: piggy. It's piggy. Yeah. Okay. But,
1: but the other guy, Jack, calls him fatty right off the bat. Within a he? second. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Hey, fat ass. No, it's Ralph. No, but It's
2: Ralph. We should get but back doesn't to that it, later. Doesn't
1: Jack call him fatty right away also, though? Something like that? We'll get to well- it. Yeah, in
0: case anybody's wondering, we're discussing the book,
2: Lord of the Flies. Uh, Do we want to talk about anything else before we dive in? I just want to say, no, I think we should just talk about the book. But I have had a request from a friend of mine who's a high school teacher that I don't know if we can fulfill. But since this is taught in every high school, she was like, please keep it clean enough that I can assign this to my
1: class. Well, so uh, let's see what we can do. So basically, what they're Todd, saying is, I don't. Don't swear. I don't. Yeah, Todd, just don't talk. I'm me. not going to talk for Julian. I
0: will cover the conversation. <laughs> oh,
1: I, I think we can Ooh. attempt to not use any swear words, kids. If you're listening, a lot of the other episodes are really interesting.
0: Now, hold on. I I found the lack of swear words in the book interesting. Did you guys notice there is one? There's 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 an ass. There's the reference to the word ass. And then there's that yeah. one moment where they talk about a, a bad word, but they don't actually say it. So clearly, yeah. clearly William Golding intended this for young readers. Y- yeah. yeah. Well,
1: so I got a lot of questions about this book. Okay. The first thing is, in my mind, um, it's 450 pages long. And then when I took the copy of Lord of the Flies off the shelf in my house, where it has lived presumably since my sophomore year of high school... I was shocked and surprised to find that it was only two hundred and six pages, yep. mm-hmm. and that what they could have done is added one hundred and fifty pages of context. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Or a, why don't we pump pump the brakes? Or one hundred and fifty pages of
1: subtlety that would have been good. <laughs> All right.
0: Let me let me, right. let me let me let me introduce the book. Okay. And William Golding. Okay. So. Uh, and, and yeah. Lord of the Flies uh, was first published in 1954 by William Golding. It is actually his first novel, which I didn't realize. He went on to uh, win the Booker Prize for a 1980 novel called Rites of Passage, which is the beginning of a trilogy. He wrote poetry. He wrote plays. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1983. And wow. um, and he died in 1993. Yeah. So Lord of the Flies um, was was his first novel. It was rejected by 21 different publishers uh, before finally being published. And it was actually a failure the, when it was first published. It, mm. uh, its first print ran out. Nobody cared. Huh. Uh, so it's only <laughs> it only became a huge hit in the years that followed. And um, like we said, it's it's sort of become the standard high school text. And just right. in case nobody has. Ever heard of this book, which seems impossible. It's about a group of boys. Uh, The oldest, I believe, is 12 or 13. The youngest is probably 5 or 6. And there's a group of maybe 20 of them, I think? Hard to tell. Hard to tell. tell. It's not quite clear who crash land on an island in the Pacific and have to survive uh, and uh, things turn violent and they turn on each other and... um, and are, are we, we're just going to spoil it, because if you don't know, I yeah. don't know. Uh, they, they are eventually rescued in the final pages of the book, but not before a couple of them have been killed, or died, or disappeared. Um, oh,
1: right. Yeah, that's the, the first right. one. Right. Um, huh.
0: So, yeah. So, let's. why don't we just each describe our experience with this book before we read it today? Julia, you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. So, this book, I read it in sophomore year of high school, and... This, I don't want to overstate it, but this book is probably the reason that I'm sitting here on this podcast at all and like that I became an English major mm-hmm. because right. I specifically remember my sophomore year high school English teacher who was like cool. Right. cool teacher.
1: Oh, Captain, uh, my we captain. Also
2: read, yeah, we also <laughs> read Romeo and Juliet and the Inferno. So oh. this is a cool year uh, and this. But I remember him being like, Simon is Jesus, and I was like, <laughs> "God, was did he really like, say that?" That's oh amazing. God! <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I want to kill English teachers.
2: <laughs> I had the
0: exact but, same experience with uh, Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. I had a teacher who was, you know, twenty-three, and he was like. Look at the J- uh, the the preacher in Grapes of Wrath. You remember his initials are J C. And My teacher was like, his initials are J C. for Jesus Christ, and my mind was just blown. It was like, what? I, I think I read that? that book. Yeah, yeah ex-
2: exactly the same. Exactly the same. Like the teaching allegory. Yes, was that happened for me with this book with Simon going on the mountain. Right. Like, and I it is the, the crystal. It's the moment that I was like, I love books for something more. Like I had always loved oh, that's to read, so cool. right? But that it was like, oh, it has like deeper meaning, right? And it's connected. Like we're all beasts inside, yeah. Like I just loved it. Yeah. So that is my connection with this book. And a quick other story is, a few years ago. So I hadn't read it since then, and maybe like five or six years ago, I was at an improv gig at an elementary school. We were doing a assembly and they like stuck us in an English classroom to make us wait oh it must have been a middle school because there was blank copies of a quiz about Lord of the Flies oh my god and I was like I am taking this so I stole a quiz (laughs) as an adult (laughs) and sat there and I remembered everything and took this quiz and then gave myself a grade and I got like a B I graded myself (laughs) oh my god and I was like, I still got it, baby, A <laughs> high school dork. Uh, <laughs> That's um, awesome. so Those are my two major associations, but I, I really enjoyed rereading it. Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy book, and mm. obviously so much stuff in our culture comes from this book, you know? Oh, a ton, absolutely. It was absolutely. great, great to read.
1: Um, Tom, so,
0: what about your experience?
1: Yeah, so I also read this sophomore year in high school, and the... Um, And I absolutely loved it, sophomore year in high school. I absolutely loved it. It was in Miss Kane's class, and Miss Kane was my high school English teacher for three of the four years that I was in high school. And uh, she just had a huge effect on my life as a reader and as a writer, because at some point... Um, I think in my junior year, she let me just write short stories instead of doing book reports. Good teacher. Um, she was she was wonderful, just a, a wonderful um, woman. Um, but I remember very vividly reading Lord of the Flies in her class and having to pretend because I was at that age where it wasn't cool to be into books. Where I had to be like, oh, God, we got to read Lord of the Flies. It's so boring. <laughs> and then being like... You know, at home, just like, oh, my God, this is the (laughs) greatest thing I've ever read in my entire life. And and not knowing if I was Ralph or Piggy, um, but pretty sure I was Piggy. Um, And the weird thing is, I remember very vividly, we read Lord of the Flies and watched uh, Bridge on the River Kwai back to back um, in this English class. And I just reread Bridge on the River Kwai uh, to talk about the adaptation of it. We did a big screening of the adaptation of it. at UCR uh, last week. And the, you know, there's huge themes and motifs, obviously, in these, in both of these books about, you know, about war. But I was then all immediately struck back to that moment where in class you had to describe the various themes and motifs. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. That was such a thing. Like, identify the motif. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> um, but the motifs and themes in, um, Lord of the Flies are so on the nose that it's like if you couldn't figure out what they were, you had, you had to be you know I don't know brain I really
0: dead. honestly didn't think of Simon as Jesus, but now that you no, say, hey, I do I, well, <laughs> I don't remember Jesus but I don't remember Jesus being does an die, epileptic he gets he gets sacrificed I'm like
3: oh yeah. yeah
2: okay all right so Simon all right so the, Simon's the like the an epileptic are, what. So he goes up. Well, he has. All right. So obviously, we've got. Let's just nail through some of the motifs.
3: Real okay. Quick.
2: So <laughs> Ralph and Piggy are like British order and traditional yes. leadership. Jack is an insane savage leader. He
1: uh, is. He is but, the colonial English taking well, over I the know. savage lands. Uh.
2: Mm. uh we can get into the British perspective on what this might be because I'm very interested in the insane amount of use of the word "savage." Anyway, <laughs>
3: yep. uh,
2: and Simon is like he's very touchy feely. He he says, "Ralph, you're gonna get out." Like he has visions. He's like, he's spiritual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he also is, and this is totally a text from my friend Jill, the English teacher, who I was like, You have to tell me what you think of this. Um, And she was like, You have to talk about, you know, he's not Jesus. He's Moses. He goes up the burning mountain, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> receives oh, yes. a message and from down. the devil.
1: From the devil. Oh,
3: right. The devil.
2: Right. And then comes down to deliver it and killed. is killed killed so
1: or or simon is in an epileptic fugue half the time keeps stripping and falling and banging his head into things and is having um you know disassociative moments because he's sick and needs medication and no one for some reason is talking about the fact that they crash landed onto an island (laughs) in the middle of a war and then none of them seem to remember that part
2: (laughs) But all of our English teachers would say, why not both, man?
1: Oh, God. I, I, yeah. So anyway, I quite enjoyed it at 15. I, I had some leaps of believability at 47 that I'm going to speak to at some length
2: (laughs) sure Ryder. what's your personal history so
0: my personal history is i went to go see a movie in 1989 or 1990 and there was a trailer for the 1990 adaptation of lord of the flies and i I was immediately because i had at this age read island of the blue dolphins does anybody remember this one yeah but a woman who lives on a dolphin and the k or the key C-A-Y, yes. which is yes. about like a boy and a blind man on an island. So I was obsessed with uh, people on islands surviving and survive, you know, Robinson <laughs> Crusoe kind of stuff. And when yeah. I saw the trailer for this movie, I turned to my dad and said, what is this? And my dad was like, well, that's Lord of the Flies. It's a classic book. So I immediately at nine or 10 before the movie came out, went and bought the book and read it or got out of the library and read it and... Just was obsessed. I just decided that this was the best thing that ever happened, that Lord of the Flies was the most important book ever. I then convinced my brother and a friend of mine to go into the woods with me and camp out, surviving on our own <laughs> in the woods behind our house.
2: Uh-oh, did you get the right message from me? Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely not!
1: Absolutely not. I ran with the idea
0: that being primal and sharpening a stick at both ends was important and valuable. Uh, but I do I've remember s- being traumatized. I've seen, you.
1: I've seen you in this sort of primordial. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, you have, oh, no. building a fire at
0: uh, Bennington. Yes. No, yes. I, uh, I, all I remember is that I thought it was a good idea. We, had, we decided to hike into the woods and all we brought for food was French bread, like bread from the local store. And oh, then, no. like, I decided I had to cook something over a fire at 10 years old. So you so I killed your c- friend. So I toasted <laughs> bread. I just remember the taste of, like, char- charred, burnt bread. And I was like, yeah, this that is, is so good for cute. me to be sleeping out in the woods with, you know, my brother. And I think our friend Will Will Grunig, this old friend of ours that I convinced to camp out with us. But whatever, I do remember being traumatized by, by Piggy's death. When Piggy yes. died it hurt me like to my core. And I remember mm. kind of knowing it was going to happen. I think because my dad had intimated like, this is a real book. This is, you know, there's bad stuff happens in this book. And you, you kind of know that death is coming. I mean, Simon's right. death comes first, I guess, but it's, it's just abstract enough that you're like, did that really happen? What? I don't under who, you know, and it like builds on you perfectly. And so when piggy's death really struck me to my core, and then I went and saw the movie and the movie was horrible. <laughs>
3: <Terrible> <laughs> and,
0: movie. um, and I remember knowing at the age of 10, like, this movie sucks, the book is better, and maybe that's why I got into literature uh, as much well, as I did.
1: Well, and the book is, is about the length of a screenplay. Um, you know, this, this book is maybe 50,000 words. It's probably less. Um, but also, I think hard to film because it's, uh, it's such an intellectual examination of the descent into madness and savagery. Um, And it's hard to, I think, portray that on the screen in a believable way without it becoming Apocalypse Now with children. Um, So there's been two film versions that I've seen. There's one in the 1960s that was bad. Is it? Because I've heard
0: that one's pretty good. I've never seen it. but
1: It's it's not a great movie. And then the one that you saw with Balthazar Getty um, that we all saw and we're like, oh, that's too bad. That's not good either. Um, But, you know, I think the book is actually the perfect book for 14 and 15 year olds to read.
3: Perfect. Because
1: it expands your mind intellectually and it, it plays on beliefs you already have and prejudices you already have. And even if you don't get the larger thematic things about British rule and <laughs> the laws of man and things like that, like there's, there is this thing about... Essentially, like, oh, clicks and the fat kid and all this other stuff that you could see being pulled out to its most extreme thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the larger stuff that a great English teacher, like I think the three of us all had, pulls out that makes you really examine, makes the book all the more rich. And then you begin to understand, like, why the touchstones of the book have existed now in our culture for 70 years. Like, the, the conch is a thing. You know, I've got the conch is a thing without realizing that, oh, that that's eventually what gets Piggy killed. You don't want the conch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was fascinating to read this in the, you know, in the shadow of looming elections coming up, mm-hmm. you know, because one of the big narrative – you know, thrust of it is that they essentially elect a leader and then the election means absolutely nothing <laughs> and all, and the dumb little system that they set up right. becomes meaningless. And I think one of the greatest parts of the book that is so obvious when you're reading it as an adult, but I'm sure it blew my 15 year old mind was, um, when Jack, uh, so the, the factions have split, um, Jack, the, crazy boy uh like raids the the reasonable camp and they think they're coming for the conch and they're really coming for piggy's glasses which are like the only useful thing on the entire island um and it's just the point of that is you know like rules and systems don't work if people don't buy into them and believe in them right um and the conch is actually pointless even though we think of it as like you know, right
0: it has no meaningful. actual power it only right. has symbolic power has, because they've given right. it meaning right right, I, right.
1: I, I actually thought of something funny um when i was well not funny but ironic when i was reading this is that something writer actually said right after the election when we were talking about it on the show about like hey you know authoritarianism actually is is a pretty good way of of running a a country, if you're the authoritarian, you just don't have to have any rules. You just decide, oh, I'm going to get some shit done. I'm going to build this here. I'm going to build this here. And I don't care about what anyone else thinks. And I'm just going to get it done. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're just going to steal his glasses because that's the use of power. And they can build fire. And once you have fire, you're in control. But, yeah, you don't need to vote on it. Just steal the fat kid's glasses. <laughs>
2: Wait, were you on that side? So. No,
1: no. Uh, <laughs> I think we but, just revealed but, where it uh, I've got it's a, in the Lord I've the got the a floss. slide i got a service like fascism in me, but like you essentially what I'm saying is like you, you begin to understand in those moments like, oh, like that's how, that's how that, that mind of, oh, we don't need to have rules. we can just will to right. power.
0: Uh, right will to power. The works. idea of will to power versus a civilization that forces you to be subservient to its rules or its right. methodologies, right. The, 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 the conch, which by the way, it's pronounced conch. But, is uh, it? Yeah, the English do it, and since it's an English book, let's stick oh. with it. I'm pretty sure because conch is just okay. kind of an awkward conch sounds better the conch anyway. Conch shell. So the conch, gonna, I'll
2: say conch shell.
0: <laughs> so the conch, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean the conch is sort of like a constitution in some ways, right? <laughs> like it's yeah, it is right. Yeah, it's this, this this thing outside of any individual that has power and that you give power, um, yeah, and you, you you imbue it with that meaning, but it actually doesn't provide anything like a spear or a fire you know what
3: right
2: you know what i was thinking of the conquest and i don't think this is what it's meant to be but i'm just i'm just putting this as a lens over the current you know our current moment is the conch you know, is Mueller, the and the no.
0: <laughs> jack is trump conch, running no
2: the conch is it it's almost like to me i was thinking oh it's the media because it's like who has the power to tell the story who has the power oh, that's to speak interesting. And Jack eventually is just like, it doesn't matter, no one cares, it's all you know, garbage anyway. You know? Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I there's so many things that it could symbolize, which is one of the fun things about this uh this book is yeah, it's a system or a civilization in any kind.
3: Right. But yeah,
2: it's like whoever has the conch has the power to speak. And they all do obey that for a little while, which I think is really crazy because mm-hmm. anytime I've been in a system where we're like, let's pass around this stick or whatever, it doesn't look <laughs> two
3: sad. Here's your
1: spirit stick.
0: <laughs> um, so, so one of the things I thought I, that I should introduce because I, I only learned this today after looking it up um, before our discussion today. Did you guys know about the coral shore? This,
1: no, or the coral so, island,
0: sorry, the coral island?
1: Uh, Fascinatingly enough, when I finished this book the other day, and the so the last line or one last line, the um, the British soldier says, "Uh, "Jolly good show, like the Coral Island." I was like, "What's the Coral Island?" And it's a it's a children's book. It's a children's
0: book that was written in the nineteenth century. It's by a Scottish author named Ballantyne, R. M. Ballantyne, and this book is actually a direct response to that book. Um, that was an incredibly Hmm. successful, it's was successful all the way up into the middle of the 20th century, apparently, um, very, very colonial imagination story about, um, it's a, it's about a group of kids who end up on an island and fend off the natives and uh, mm. the cannibals, the local native cannibals, they also fight off pirates or join pirates. I don't. It's but it was this adventure novel, they, like in the Robinson Crusoe mold,
3: mm-hmm. that mm. was
0: incredibly successful. And the characters' names were Ralph and Jack in that novel.
3: Oh wow! So
0: mm. yeah, so Golding is consciously revising a British huh. colonial children's story, um, which hmm. to me was was like made me happy because I was reading Lord of the flies now this time, you know, and I was putting on my sort of contemporary, uh, lit crit goggles and thinking like, how does this square with colonialism and what was golden, you know? And I was trying to like, sort of think of it in terms of this civilization versus the natives and the savage, like you were saying, Julia, the word savage is just so Mm -hmm. weirdly used throughout the book. Um, and, and, it's and all I,
1: over Bridge on the River Kwai too, incidentally. So, which came out the exact same year. Oh, as Oh, interesting.
0: And so, yeah. I, I, anyway, I guess I was just trying to figure out like how conscious Golding was of these ideas, like because he he has these references to like you know you guys are good British boys at the end when the soldier mm-hmm. finds them, and then mm-hmm. there's like we're gonna be English and the good English don't do. They they talk about English versus savageness or English right. versus the other right throughout the book, and I was like, well, how much does Golding really believe that, and how much is he intentionally showing this the the how impoverished that thinking is. And it seems like he was intentionally showing that he w- he was ba- basically wrestling with the colonial issues because right. this previous book was a colonial fantasy of children conquering nature, coming together and conquering the natives, you know, saving, saving other children and saving each other from the savage natives. So golden was, was really interestingly playing with these ideas, which I had no idea. No one ever talks about no. the coral Island anymore which um, and I guess probably because it's a pretty horrible book. I haven't read it, but I imagine it's, it's so simplistic and sort of moralistic because I guess it's all about how Christianity conquers all. But it's right? also,
1: like, the in terms of teaching this book to 15-year-olds now, like, if high school teachers aren't giving them that information, then the, that ending is a weird ending. Like, I was like, what is he talking about? I mean, obviously you, you get the idea that he's just like, oh, it's just boys at war or whatever. And then he goes and he looks at his battleship in the sea, and you're like, "They're not so different after all, you know." Um, <laughs> I, I think that, that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you you get the sense of it regardless, the the irony. But it it would be nice to know that it's also dealing at another level with this, um, you know, this yellowed idea of you know, of, of British colonialism. Maybe yep. that's maybe it doesn't matter that it's a, a clapback, as the kids say, to um, to another book because it's, it's a weird line because it's the last line of dialogue in the entire book, like the coral Island and they could have put it in italics and then we'd know it was a book.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. That's really. <laughs> nifty.
1: Look, I'm mad at the copy editor. That's all. I, there's a lot of <laughs> some dialogue tags that have been nice. Periodically I got lost in who was talking. <laughs>
2: uh, okay. Uh, oh, but that's probably another reason that this just now I'm like zooming back into my child mind or teen mind that I was like, Ooh, you don't have to use dialogue text and you have to figure it out. And like, who is it? Is, is the pig head really speaking or is Simon mm-hmm. speaking to himself? I, um,
1: I loved all that pig head talking to Simon stuff because yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, it's, I, I just love that. It, it essentially becomes this dark existential discussion on the nature of man. Um, And then you have to, and because it's just this little boy who's having this experience with this pig head, and you know that he is sort of a mystic or an epileptic or something, um, you know he's sort of enlightened. But then you're all, like, as a writer, I'm like, man, this is a big leap. Like, is a 13-year-old going to think that uh, this other 13-year-old is capable of this sort of depth of thought? Or does it not even really matter? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in that moment. Um, creatively?
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's so creepy. I mean, it's one of the most, to me, lasting images of in all of literature is this rotting pig head on a stick Mm -hmm. coming to life and then essentially saying, like, I'm not real. I'm within you Mm -hmm. and I'm within everyone here. And that's why the British colonialism and savage use like and the fact as you alluded to earlier Todd that this is so self-contained like it doesn't show these boys anywhere else it doesn't show British the British Empire anywhere else other than alluding to like the warships but it's not really about like the kids versus nature or other civilization it's about every boy's battle to stay civilized mm-hmm. and that's what i really love about this book and above this chapter so it's not like they're calling other people savages and they're not trying to conquer anything they're just trying to have an excuse to go absolutely crazy mm-hmm. and that's what i really appreciate about that extremely weird <laughs> moment
1: yeah well Very-
0: I-, I don't know though because i mean i guess what struck me and I don't know if this contradicts what you're saying, Julia, because because I, sure. I think where you ended up, I totally agree with. But I feel like the way I thought of this book before, you know, having read it when I was 10 and, and remembering it and thinking at it in the sort of like, what is Lord of the Flies about? Like, what is Lord of the Flies saying sense? I always had it in my mind that it was, it was about civilization versus nature, right? Or like you know, human nature or the animalistic human nature within all of us and civilization on the other hand. And that the book is about what happens when kids who are sort of somewhat civilized because they're still children and somewhat more na- are left to their own devices, they retreat to some sort of wild state that, mm-hmm. that makes them more vicious towards one another, that is, that is uncivilized. And reading it this time, I was actually struck by the fact that the violence comes from Jack actively deciding to be a savage. That, right. the, that the savage yeah. is a costume that he puts on. There's mm-hmm. that passage, uh, you know, on, on, on in my edition, it's on page 63, where he starts painting his face. And it's like a two-page long passage where Jack has, he's tried to go hunting, and he's failed. And then he like decides he needs to put on war paint. Mm-hmm. And they describe this like floating mask of his face with this like skinny little white boy body behind it. And... It's such a powerful sequence and I realized like reading it this time I was like oh he's play acting what he believes a savage person is like or you know they actually call them Indians Mm -hmm. at another point. And I feel like um, I feel like what Golding is is getting at is less about civilization versus non-civilization and more like um, uh, there's 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 a there's culture on one hand and the colonial imagination of the savage on the other hand hmm. you know what i mean like it's like that that secondary identity becomes an excuse like a rationale it's this opportunity for for power and control for jack to seize power and control is to use this like this because it's all a game they're all dancing whenever they're like pretending whenever they when they kill simon and when they they go on the pig guns they're like chanting and they're doing a whole like dance they call it a dance they're like and then they call it a game they're all play acting so it's not like they're getting back to their natural state of wildness it's more like they're play acting a colonial fantasy of wildness Hmm. which is actually very different and kind of an important distinction that i don't know like I didn't remember that. And I don't know if teacher high school no. teachers are making that distinction, but I think Golding was. I think he was aware of that. And yeah, and knowing that the Coral Island sure. existed I... before, which actually enacted savagery versus civilization in this very externalized way where where mm-hmm. the kids are actually fighting cannibals or pirates. Here the kids are, you know, turning on each other, but they're doing so with this fantasy of of, of colonial savagery.
1: Yeah, like they they're they're play acting out the stories that they've read before. Right. You know, they're they're just I, I mean, I think it's important to note, like, when we first see Jack, he walks in and he's he's the leader of the choir. So, yeah, so, love that.
2: I love that. He's
1: the leader of the Some choir. Some religious sort of connotation. So there. and he he brings in his choir and they're they're like they're like dark priests the way they walk in with, you know, the hoods over their heads. They're in their yep. choir uniforms um but jack has already decided that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bring them in i'm still in charge of this choir and i think it's important that of course the choir only responds to jack you know there's there's it's a pretty easy metaphor um but that he immediately upon meeting everyone else decides oh we're going to be the hunters and so like he makes that leap right away about, you know, what this choir is going to be and how he's going to change these, these people who follow him from one sort of passive thing, which is just singing songs, into an active thing. Which always has made me wonder, because uh, it's a thing that I remembered. It's like, oh, were the choir boys choir boys before? Like, they were the calm, nice, pleasant choir boy people. But when given the chance to be the badass, they opt to be the badass to get their own sense of agency or whatever it might be. Um, because there is obviously a, um, there's a sense of what a choir boy is supposed to be. And then Jack and his choir boys tip that over completely and become something else entirely.
2: And they're really the only ones who have backstory. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really know how all the other boys like interact in the school. Some of them obviously don't know each other, you know? Um, and I love that choir boy detail because it's just like... Any pre-existing power structure, you know, is going to translate. It doesn't matter right. if it's choir or a football team or whatever. It's just, of course, Jack was a prefect and the leader of the choir, so therefore he is a leader. Right. Period.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Can, can we briefly discuss... Um, the dystopian nature of the beginning of the book where there's we're at a, a war that we don't know about
0: right an atomic mm-hmm. war right
1: an atomic war a plane has dropped them off and then taken back off no no there's no. the scar in the land okay.
2: yeah, the plane has crashed as far as i know the plane has the, crashed the way the way the the main thing that i think readers should know about this if they haven't read this book is lost the tv show just completely ripped off this entire so the opening shot of lost where it's like blink blink where am i an island a plane crashed ah that's what this is you know but the boys the scar is like the plane having crashed and like destroyed part of the forest as i
1: but the plane isn't still there
2: i think it's crashed. Okay, can, can can we talk
0: about this for a second? This is actually important to me <laughs> yeah. because this is something. Yeah. This I, I I I love this book. Like I, rereading it, I think that it's an important book. I think it's beautiful. I think it's so intelligent. I think the character, the prose, the way it's actually written, I think is horrible.
1: Hard to read. I think it's, it's hard to read. read. And
0: like this is yeah. to your point, taught about how you thought it was four hundred pages. So did I. Mm-hmm. And and when I started reading it again, I was like, well, this will be a breeze. And then I like got twenty pages in, I was like. No, this is difficult to read. This is slow going. Yeah. This was painful for me when I was 10. And it's painful for me now. And it shouldn't be. Like books have gotten easier for me to read. But for some reason, this one is very, very difficult to read. And I think I was trying to figure out why. And I think it's because he's trying to he he's trying to describe things in like this phenomenal phenomenological sense, where it's like they are he's trying to describe things as. As, as if they haven't been named yet or as if they don't mm-hmm. have a name yet. So he'll do these weird passages where it'll be like the red thing rolled by. And you're like, wait, is that the rock? What are right. you talking about? Just call it a freaking rock. And it's really like good when he's trying to describe like Simon's body in the water, because it's like this mm-hmm. whole passage and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that his body? What is that? And it's like, it describes it as this thing in the, and then it washes away. And then it just, at the last line says, and that was Simon's dead body going out to sea. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, he was describing the dead body this whole time. But it's really a weird choice. And it's, it's, it's really difficult and dense, and it makes it hard, I think, for teenagers to just read on a basic level. And part of that dif- that difficulty, I don't know if it helps. I, I mean, it helps, like well, I say, in some ways, but I-, I find it really offputting.
1: If, if it were ri- if it were written today, um, the point of view choice is a is a bad one. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's third person, omniscient, limited. Um, so it dips in and out of a lot of people's heads but never close enough that you actually get the full story delivered through their eyes. And mm-hmm. you don't get the um, the God point of view in such a way where things are being explained. That's why it's limited omniscience. Um, and so it's almost like a subjective point of view like, um, like Hills Like White Elephants where people are saying things you never get quite the total understanding of what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and but- then it's... And, and because then of that, of, I have
0: no physical idea of what's going on, and like yeah, half and then of and then Golden kind of
1: overwrites it in in his description. So like for instance, there's the scene where um, Ralph, this is right before the end. Ralph is hiding from everybody, and uh, it's and it's where you talk about the red thing rolls by. He's yeah. in a crevasse of some kind, and they're they're knocking rocks on top of him. But there's also a fire, and it's a, it's literally impossible to tell what's happening. Yeah. Um, But you also get the sense that, oh, well, maybe Golding is trying to make it a hallucinogenic experience because it's about 12-year-old boys, so it's being told in in this sort of strange point of view. But it doesn't make it easy.
2: And some of it, I agree with you, Ryder, um, but I think some of it is effective because I think the attempt is to show us their incomprehension of certain things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So the body that they think is the beast is, you know, a paratrooper or whatever it is. Um, Like, that is really fascinating, you know, that they're like, oh, it's moving and it's billowing and it's a scary beast, but it's really an adult man.
1: Right, an adult Um, dead man.
2: Or, um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, well, we haven't talked about the pig, you know, rape-esque scene yet, but that's another one that's, (laughs) like, its obliqueness is important i think is like are we killing this pig or are we raping this pig and what's a spear and what's not a spear um and so yeah i feel like it's effective when it's used well to show that the boys are like either not understanding what's going on or denying what they're doing right
1: right Um, absolutely absolutely
2: but it does start i agree in this like kind of faw where it would be more helpful to be like oh, my God, there's our plane drifting out to sea, right. which the internet tells me is what happened. Um. But
1: I, I don't think that's... Because like there's
0: probably, don't... like, one sentence that describes that it actually drifted out yeah. to sea. Yeah. But, I mean, even, like, yeah. just the term, the scar, right? Like, we were talking yeah. about, like, what is that... What are you talking about? Or, you know, like all the, all. I have no way, I have like little moments where I can wrap my head around what's happen, phys, happening physically, but it, on a whole, like there's no like map of the island in my head that makes sense. There's no physical, yeah. and, and you're right, you're exactly right. He kind of backed himself into a corner as a writer where he made this very difficult choice. He had to do that, and I think given that huge creative choice, he writes That as well as you can, but it's Mm -hmm. very frustrating Mm -hmm. to read. It's very weird. And it it makes it, I think the unfortunate result is that I think it probably turns a lot of people off of reading that are assigned to this in high school, because on one hand you're assigned it and you're excited because you know that there's like violence and some cool, exciting, adventure story aspects that might interest Mm -hmm. you. But on the other hand, like the reading is, is, is a slog, and wrapping your head around what's happening, I had to reread paragraphs like over and over again. And I think like if I was a 15 year old and I wasn't that into reading, like I would just throw it across the room and get the cliff notes and then or watch the movie and probably have just as good of an idea of what happened. And that's, that's a little mm. unfortunate.
1: Yeah, you, you know the, the other side of it too, I think, is, well, you're having it I think if you're reading it at 15, you're not reading it for pleasure, you're reading it in class. And so in that way, I think it's actually kind of helpful to have the teacher reading along with you to say, hey, this is what this means, this is what that means, and forcing you along. Um, but reading it for pleasure right now, um, like this is uh, – you said it earlier, writer, uh, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but was this actually written for teens or was this an adult book?
0: I mean it was written as a response to The Coral Island. So, and that was a teen book. So I, I mean, you know, YA didn't really exist as a category. So right. I, I think he intended it. He knew that boys were going to read it. I think he was, he was intending to, to, to write for the people that had already read the Coral Island, um, right. which wasn't, mm-hmm. which was a very popular book for teens. So, I mean, he had to know that that was going to be a big audience for him.
1: Right. Um, you, you know, the other thing that I, that this book taught me, um, and I remember, like, we in my mind we spent seven months on it, so it's probably like four days of class. Was the symbolism? What's yeah, all the yeah. symbolism mean? And the symbolism is so obvious now, like that you had to be asked what the symbolism was. Um, but I remember finding out that the Lord of the Flies is an actual translation of Beazelbub. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you're like, oh my God, that is the devil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the pig face on a stick is the devil, kid. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's easy to make fun of it. But we read, you know, constantly and also for many different reasons. Right. But it is kind of wonderful that there is a text that so many people share that we all that is used to teach, like, think deeper and work harder when you're reading. Like, right. Yes, it is hard work. Sort of, but it was it must have been another one of the books that taught me like, okay, like certain parts are going to feel tough. But then you get a very clear passage of, you know, someone stabbing a pig or whatever. Um, So I don't know. It didn't bother me. It is oblique. I mean, like, that's just a fact, but it didn't bother me that much. It made me feel smart. Mm -hmm. It made me feel curious, you know, like, oh, if I see this symbol, you know. What's the rest of it? Right. And I think that's positive. I think writing this, I think writing this difficultly is out of fashion right now, and probably for good cultural reasons. But it's not like, it's not like this book is 400. Pages. No,
1: it's only 200 pages. It's, it's
2: 200 true. pages, and half of them are hard, and half of them are just absolute. Mania. That's fun to read. I got to tell you, one
1: of the one of the things that I really took away from this book when I got done reading it is I really wanted some barbecue. I was <laughs> I wanted some pork, like you would not like. I wanted some grilled wild boar. Yeah. Well, that,
0: to your point, Julia, I guess the other extreme is like Hunger Games, right?
1: Right. Like just yeah.
0: the action adventure version of this idea of like kids killing each other and try, would just be yeah, a, which I've never read, but I assume is much more simple in terms of like. It's easier to read. And... Oh,
2: way, yeah, way more simple. way more simple,
1: but also so clearly inspired by *Lord of the Flies*. Like, there's yeah. no *Hunger Games* without *Lord of the Flies*. And even the shifting allegiances. So, at the end of *Lord of the Flies*, when the twins give um, uh, give Ralph a little piece of meat and essentially warn him that Ralph is going to kill him, like that's dog, yeah. that is the entire. Uh, or yeah, I'm sorry. That they give the meat to Ralph and say that Jack is going to kill him. That's the entire Hunger Games shifting allegiances that happens in every single book. Yeah. Um, and it's a great emotional me... moment um, and one that that has been stolen a thousand times.
2: So let me complain about The Hunger Games for a second. Read them all. Great idea. Think about it all the time. Love it. However, here's the difference between this weird, creepy, subtle writing and Hunger Games. My biggest pet peeve with The Hunger Games is that it is told in this easy, close, first-person point of view of Katniss, which literally destroys the suspense of the book. Mm -hmm. She cannot die. She cannot die. The whole point of it is, anyone could die. But if it's just from her, if it's in her mind, there's no subtlety. There's no, like, actual risk as a reader to following this character emotionally. Whereas, as I was reading this, I was like, I literally don't remember is Ralph going to get burned alive in this giant fire is he going to get killed and eaten like anything could happen because these points of view are shifting and i also was like is ralph going to turn you know and Mm -hmm. join this out of desperation it felt much more open whereas ya now is like it's really 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 good at putting you inside like a teen girl or teen boy's mind but it does not kind of allow that character to be to be truly at risk right and I, I mean, yeah. I, I what you,
0: to your point, I, I love what you said about whether Ralph was going to turn or not, too. Because I remember that he didn't, but I in the opening pages, I was like, Ralph's a dick. Like, he's
3: so mean <laughs> yeah. to Piggy.
0: Yes. And he's in my really mind, like, to Piggy, me. you know, I, I guess as a sort of nerdy 10 year old, I identified with Piggy a little bit more. Because, mm-hmm. like, in my memory, oh, yeah, Piggy wasn't this sure. annoying. But, like, rereading the book, I'm like, oh, Piggy, you suck. And, like, yeah. you've got, <laughs> like, a, you, and, and Piggy is smart, but he also, like, is the one with. Improper English, like he's the one with a bad accent and like a sort of whiny, nasally voice, and I and it was so interesting that 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 in the first couple of pages of the book, I. I didn't, you know, as opposed to, I feel like now, if I were to rewrite this book in my mind before I reread it, I would have been like, well, there's the good guys and the bad guys. And this, it's so much more nuanced than Mm -hmm. that. Characters could kind of go in and out. People change allegiances. You, you like Piggy. You don't. Ralph is such a dick to Piggy right off the bat. Like he's the reason that Piggy gets called Piggy. So it's like really kind Mm -hmm. of Ralph's fault that Piggy gets ostracized. He never stands up for him enough. There's just cool, like nuance, I guess, which I feel like gets lost in a lot of. At least, it got lost in my memory of the book, and I feel like it gets lost in a lot of books nowadays, especially YA books.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) We have no (laughs) idea what you just said, Ryder. (laughs) I got lost Your internet was fluttering. Yeah, but I Um, agree 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do agree,
2: because I think, you know, Piggy being really annoying is really important to this book, I think. Yeah. It's not like, Yeah, he's not some incredible. Because democracy is
1: annoying, like like getting everyone's opinions is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to make a decision and go with it. But that's the like, Piggy is the onset of intellectualism in in a world. You know, like, well, we have to let's examine things as they might happen. And they're like, no, screw it, fire, fire, fire. Um, Like that was always the complaint about Obama. Well, you had to think things through. Yeah. That was great Yeah. <laughs> having someone think things through that we should do more of that um, and I, like I, I agree with you right like I, I was like oh piggy is annoying he but I didn't want him to die um, but I was like I was a little fat kid like I was I was annoying articulate little fat kid who people used to beat up and so my empathy with piggy was immense <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> they would have killed me first um i mean the only advantage i had was that i was funny and piggy is not piggy's annoying yeah. um but you know I, I think um reading the book today and and looking at it through the lens of politics and and as a larger metaphor for what society is i think it's an extraordinarily important book for teens to read and understand because it's parallels to authoritarianism and democracy and all of those things and colonialism and imperialism. Um, The wars that they're fighting in Lord of the Flies between these boys are the wars that we fight uh, every single day. Um, You know, I was watching that clip of the people at the Trump rally the other day screaming at the media and flipping them off and calling us, you're the enemy and all that stuff. Hey, I'm (laughs) I'm letting you know, savagery is here to stay. (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, I think the nice thing is that history has has uh, told us that civilization eventually wins out, but you got to you gotta get through it no matter what. So yeah. I, I really liked going back and examining this and reading it. Um, and I like the idea that 15-year-olds are still reading it today. And I just hope that there's really smart English teachers that are doing more than just saying, look for the sim- symbolism and the motifs, but actually talking about the real-world application of the things that are happening in the book.
2: I'm sure that they are. I mean, and you know who's doing it more... Even more than the teachers, I'm sure, is the kids. Yeah. I mean, this is a way to see the world and to examine yourself and your own horrifying impulses. That's it's like a safe place to have that conversation. Yeah. Is, totally. What would make me go insane? Do I, am I capable of that? You know, am I who would I be in this situation where no one is perfect? Oh, I'd be is piggy. A useful. Yeah, I'd be dead. Well, and then, you know, we don't have to get too far into this, because we've talked about it in so many recent episodes, but it's also, you know, like, I don't identify with anyone in this book, because right. there's no there's
1: girl not in girls in girl. it, right. not, a, not a one, and
2: that's, and that's important to the book, and intentional, yes. I assume, yes. you know, is that, like, there's masculinity being different kinds of masculinity, and, like, to go back to Ralph being a jerk, you know, like, he's just like, well, I'm the leader, you know, like. Let's do this. Even though he's elected, he's still taking on this mantle of like, you know, I'm trying not to curse so hard. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like he's still throwing his weight around. Right. You know, and that is another application of this book that I'm sure that is. Young women are discussing in classrooms. Well, yeah, they're supposed like, what, to be. Why um, are we leaving leadership to all these different kinds of masculinity when all of them none obviously none of them are working?
1: I remember at some point last year there was a movie announced yep. an all, all girls girl version. version of Lord of the Flies. Um, oh yeah, where, where hopefully there'll just be a lot of reasonable people talking about how not to screw this up. <laughs> you know? oh, no, I mean, how could you
0: make that movie? Like every like okay so what I mean what version of that movie makes sense like the version where it's just populated by girls but it's exactly the same storyline because that doesn't seem realistic or accurate no. and it also seems like a weird stance to take but then any changes you make are also kind of like why not just tell a, a, a brand new story about it you know what I mean like right. why do yeah. Uh, I'm just not sure like, what the value of that is other than like a headline that makes us all go, Lord of the Flies with girls? Cool. But like, actually, if, once you tell that story, you're kind of screwed, no matter what version. Well, and because... Well.
1: The, I mean, isn't the whole issue here is that the toxicity of young boys is yeah. is the prevailing thing. There's not young female school shooters, you know? Right. You're not seeing that. So to see this sort of turn to the feral while they're on this island does not... I mean, it seems like you are imprinting on this story a thing that is not likely to happen unless it's like, right. you know, um, a plane full of uh, ex-cons that, that, that land, you know, it's like 25-year-old gangsters, you know, I, I don't know. Well,
2: I mean, there are really great – okay, so first of all, the thing that's leaping to mind for me uh, is like Orange is the New Black right. is – a rich all-female environment in popular media today but honestly like the best piece of literature about how women would like police and turn each other turn on each other in the pa- patriarchy is handmaid's tale even right. though there's men in or it mean or, girls. you know it's all about women controlling each <laughs> <Right>. other <laughs> yeah i mean i mean mean girls heathers that's a whole genre right. you know right. but uh yeah, watching women like police each other within the confines of this structure yeah. is what The Handmaid's Tale is all about. And yeah, so I'm going there. Yeah.
1: Um. So we, why make the movie? Why not just read the Handmaid's Tale and then watch the show?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they have something interesting to say. But that interesting thing better not be girls are just bitches.
1: <laughs> like
2: that <laughs> oh, would be yeah. I agree. Annoying. With
1: you. I agree. With I you.
2: would be pissed.
1: I don't think that's uh, going to be the case. I, I, I <laughs> hope not. I hope not. I, yeah. I just hope Gal Gadot is somehow in there. She shows up. At, she's the the soldier at the end who saves them. Like she's standing there on the beach, right. all Gal Gadot, and you're like, oh my god, it's <laughs> Wonder Woman.
2: <laughs> Wait, that's Okay, so that this has already been made. The first fifteen minutes of Wonder Woman are uh, right, the, yes. oh, female Lord of the Flies, right? The Amazon's but that's riding utopian
0: versus dystopian,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever, right? That's, oh, a man. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was Lord of the Flies by William Golding. You'll be learning about it um, probably about November third um, in your period two. <laughs>
0: um, and we want to know about the symbolism and, yeah. and, the motif. and the motifs and if there's other literary techniques like foreshadowing
1: Ooh, oh yeah, there
0: is a
2: lot of foreshadowing
1: <laughs> there's a lot of foreshadowing
0: do you remember all those catchphrases you had to like yes.
1: learn
3: it? yeah oh god
1: <laughs> yeah kids if you don't get the foreshadowing by the cover um that's a that's a B already. You've dropped down to a B. Uh, but kids, enjoy the book. But also don't put too much stake in what happens at Homecoming. You know what? It's one dance. You're not going to remember it in 20 years. It gets better.
0: It does get better.
1: It God, it gets better. It gets so much better. Julia, it gets oh, I better. I love
2: how you guys are saying this, like you were two losers. Yeah, I was, the I kids was super
1: Ed. popular, but I want to be empathetic <laughs> yeah. to the kids.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, listen to Ryder Strong. It gets better. <laughs>
1: Wow! Well, you know, you just, just fame shamed, right? Totally I totally fame shamed Oh my
2: God, is fame shamed? Uh, Apparently, nope.
1: it is <laughs> now. It is now. Hashtag
0: fame shamed. Ryder Strong, Julia Pistel I'm I'm tweeting about it right now. Jesus. <laughs>